Amen. The name of Jesus. Isn't it good to praise Him? Amen. <laughs> Is it something you want to share with the rest of us? <laughs> All right, well, whenever I'm uh, reading a novel, maybe you have the same problem. Whenever I'm reading a novel, it's like I always forget everybody's names, right? You're reading through, and you'll come across somebody's name, and it's like, who is that, right? And, and I, there, was, there was a time I was, reading one, I was reading one novel, and I don't know whether it was the author or a clever editor, but at the, at the beginning there at the end, they had a, a big list of all the characters, right? And so I'm reading, I'm reading the novel, and it's like, and then, uh, um, then, then Bob jumped out and did something like, who is Bob? And so I flipped to the back, and it's like, Bob, main character. I'm like, oh, okay, right, Bob. And then, then I keep on reading, and it's like, uh, and then Jane showed up, and I flipped, I'm like, Jane? And I flipped to the back, and it's like, who's Jane? And Jane, Bob's mom, right, or something like this. And, and, and just a really short little thing that shows who all these characters are, because I, I just, I just I, for whatever reason, I just can never remember who all these people are in the books, right? Um, and... And the, and the chapter that we're in now in, in Acts, we're going to be in at the end of chapter 11 and, and into Acts chapter 12. And this chapter, there's like 19 names in there, not to mention a whole bunch of places and a whole bunch of people groups. And it's like, it's, <laughs> well, I got lost reading through it. And so what I thought I would do is I would do one of these uh, lists of all the people, right? But what ended up happening is I was doing this list I was going to share with you. It's like, hey, this is so-and-so. And, and as we go through, it's like this is so-and-so. Well, that just ended up turning into the sermon. So we're going to go through today just telling the story, but, but, but telling it by each of these people's names and kind of giving a quick, just the one liner or the one sentence of, hey, this is who this person is, or this is how we might, where we might know them from, or, or who they might, how, how we might, it might trigger who they are. Because most of the names will be people that we've heard of before, but... They won't be, we, we might have forgotten who they are. Or the other problem in the, in the Bible is everybody seems to have the same name. Like there's multiple James, multiple John, J multiple James, Jameses, multiple Johns, multiple Marks, right? And so, so anyway, so what we're going to do, we're going to go through our, our section for today and uh, just talk about all these people. And if you want to follow along, you can open your Bible up to Acts chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 19. But uh, let me start. Let me open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would open your word today, um, that as I share this story and share the individuals, Lord, that, that, um, that we would be able to make sense of this story, and also we would be able to make sense of the story and, and the things that you might want to teach us about you or, or in our own lives. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So starting at, at verse 19, we read about Stephen. This is the first person that's mentioned there. And Stephen, he was one of the seven that were chosen as the first church deacons. And we read about him earlier in, in Acts. Um, he was martyred in Jerusalem. And so at the time of chapter 11, where we are now, Stephen is, is dead. And, and the persecution that was associated with his death um, scattered the church, right? Everybody was gathered in Jerusalem, and then the, the church from that point, um, scattered. And, and some of the Christians went up to this city or town called Antioch. It was about a 700-kilometer journey from Jerusalem. 
And when they got up there, they told the Jews that were living there all about Jesus. And now some men, including some from the island of, of Cyprus, which is an island off, off the Mediterranean coast there, about a 300-kilometer journey to um, Antioch by ship. Um, so some of the men from Cyprus came, also came to Antioch, and those men started telling the Greeks there all about Jesus. And lots of people believed. All right, now maybe, hopefully you're not asking, but maybe you're asking, well, Jesus, that's another character. Who's this guy, right? Well, Jesus, <clears throat> whom they were, whom these people, that, these guys that went to uh, Antioch, whom these people were telling about, he was a man, lived about 2,000 years ago. His birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, they'd all been prophesied. And at the, at the time of Acts chapter 11, he had died. But then... He rose from the dead. So at this time, he's actually alive. And this whole book here, this whole book is about him. <clears throat> In fact, this whole world is about him. He's the guy that all these Christians follow. But he's not only their master. See, he's also their servant. He died for each one of them. You might say he's one of the three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's often referred to as Lord. And in, in Acts chapter 11 here, he's referred to as Lord a few times. And he's also God. And in, these, in Acts chapter 11 and 12 here, these references to, to Lord, kind of, they're, they're almost a little bit ambiguous. They raise that question. Um, does the Lord here, when, when it says, when Luke, who's the author of uh, Acts by the Holy Spirit, when he says Lord here, is he referring to Jesus or is he referring to God? And the answer, of course, is yes, right? He's referring to Jesus. He's referring to God. <clears throat> so anyway, this, this news about Greeks finding out about Jesus, about turning to the Lord in Antioch, finds its way to Jerusalem. And people in Jerusalem, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, hear about this stuff that's going on. And verse 22, um, this, was, this was still a big deal. Even though different people groups had been hearing about Jesus, it's still, the, the early Christians, they hadn't expected this good news of Jesus to be accepted beyond just the Jews. And so every time a new people group hears about this, they're like, whoa, what? Like, they're, they're still surprised, um, which is awesome. It's like, a, it's just like, a, maybe you, you hope that it's like this surprise where it's like, really? Jesus is, is, is being shared with the Greeks, and they're accepting him, and they're being saved as well? Awesome. Praise God. So the church at, at Jerusalem, they hear about this, and so they send another Christian, Barnabas, up to Antioch to see what is going on here with these, with these Greeks hearing about Jesus and accepting him. Um, now Barnabas, he was from that island of Cyprus, and you remember men from Cyprus had gone over to Antioch and were telling, these were, the, these were some of the people that were telling the Greeks all about Jesus. Barnabas, which is actually his nickname, and it means son of encouragement, he was this, just this super encouraging guy. And, and Barnabas, being from Cyprus and having recently returned from a visit back home, he likely knew some of the men that were proclaiming Jesus to the Greeks in Antioch. And also, Barnabas was a, a Levite. This is the, the Israelite tribe um, that takes care of the temple and the tribe from which the, the priests come. So he probably had a, he, he, he was the perfect guy to, to send up. He had a little bit of extra cred. And he also had a connection already with, with the guys that were, were witnessing in, in Antioch. And so he was the perfect guy to go up and, and investigate what was going on. Anyways, <clears throat> I, I love this Barnabas guy. Check, um, 
Acts chapter 11, verses 23 to 24. <laughs> Just hearing about Barnabas makes me smile. All right, so, so Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. Like, he just, he's, Barnabas is just this encouraging guy, and just to, to think about Barnabas as being glad, it's just, I think glad there is the perfect word. He was glad, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Amen. Lord, thank you for creating Barnabas. Now, Saul, who later became known as Paul, was a guy that had formerly been persecuting Christians. And then he became a Christian. But before becoming a Christian, he was a religious leader. And he had studied under one of the, great, one of the greats of the day. But now, instead of persecuting people that follow Jesus, he travels around telling people that, hey, you should follow Jesus. You need to know this, this Jesus. And after he experienced some persecution, some extreme persecution, right, because he changed teams, it's like he was persecuting the Christians, now he's one of the Christians, and he's telling everybody about Jesus. And so he started to experience some persecution. So after this, he was sent back to his hometown of Tarsus for a little bit. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, Barnabas, who'd gone up to Antioch, right? He heads over to Tarsus, which is even further um, north. He travels over to, from Tarsus to Antioch. It's about 250 kilometers. And he heads there to look for Saul. And Saul, of course, didn't have a, a cell phone. And at the time, they didn't have internet access in, in Tarsus. So he just has to search around and, and find where, where Saul is. And so um, the Bible says that, yeah, he, he, he searched around and eventually he found um, Saul. And then, um, and then the two of them traveled to Antioch and they, spend, they spent a year in Antioch teaching people about Jesus. <clears throat> And, and this actually in Antioch, this was where the Christians were, or where, where the Christians were first called Christians. All right, so about this time, so, so uh, Saul, and, um, Saul and Barnabas are telling everybody in, in Antioch about Jesus, and, and they're there for about a year. And about this time, um, the prophet Agabus travels up to Antioch from Jerusalem. And Man, it's like, I don't know if you're lost already, but I hope I'm making this clear, because there's just, it's like these names just keep popping up, and, and, and anyway, hopefully this is helpful, all right? So Agabus shows up, and, and we haven't heard of him before, but he does show up later again in, in Acts. Um, but he travels up from Antioch, up from Jerusalem, and later on, like I say, he shows up in, in Acts chapter 21. And, and in that story, um, Saul, he's planning to travel to Jerusalem, and Agabus meets up with him before he, before he heads up off to Jerusalem. And the prophet uh, Agabus, he takes Saul's belt, right? Because, because prophets, they just like being dramatic. And so he takes Saul's belt. I don't know how, if he takes it off or if he's like, hey, Saul, can you pass me your belt? Or he probably does something dramatic and whips it off, right? And then he ties himself up with Saul's belt. And, uh, and he warns Saul. He says, the Holy Spirit says that you'll be bound up like this if you go to Jerusalem. And um, Saul goes to Jerusalem anyway because Saul is Saul. That's just the kind of guy that he is. But but back here, back in Acts, back in Acts chapter, or sorry, back in Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight, um, Agabus, the same prophet, he travels up to Antioch, and as a, a prophet, he he delivers a message from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. Well, who's that? Is that another character? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. He's also one of the three: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's also God. And as God, he's all-knowing. 
And so he knows that there's a famine coming. And he wants his people to know about this famine. So he has his prophet Agabus tell them. And, and the, the Holy Spirit actually showed up uh, for the first time in this chapter a few verses earlier in verse 24, where it tells us that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the cool thing about the, the Holy Spirit for us today. If you're a Christian, then you too have the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> all, of us have a, all of us have our own spirits. Um, that's part of our humanity, right? And, and Jesus had his own spirit separate from the Holy Spirit as well. But as Christians, we also, when we become Christians, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. And he leads us, and he teaches us, and he guides us, and he's with us always. And so this famine that the Holy Spirit warned about took, day, took place in the days of Claudius. And he was the Roman emperor from, um, uh, from AD uh, 41 to 54. And, and the, the events in, that we're reading about today take place from 44 to 45. So, so the reign of, of so the, the events here, they're right in the middle of, Cla of Emperor Claudius' reign. And Roman Emperor Claudius, he was, he was generally considered an ally of the Jews, but in about the year 49, he expelled the Jews and the Christians from Rome. And you can read about that. That's in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 2. But to give you a picture of kind of how politics worked at the time, <clears throat> Let me give you a, a little bit of info about Claudius. So, so Claudius, his reign began when he was 49 years old. And prior to becoming emperor, he was considered, he was considered unfit for the job. And one source um, that I read suggested that he was considered sickly, he was considered ugly, he was considered ill-mannered. The people thought he was a fool. And so the, the, the Praetorian Guard... They found him trembling in a corner one day following the, the murder of the previous emperor, right? So Caligula, that's uh, Emperor Gaius, is also, he's also known as Gaius or Gaius. I'm not sure how you pronounce these Roman emperors' names. But anyway, the previous emperor had been um, murdered, and Claudius was, this was when he was about 49, he was freaked out, and so he was hiding in the corner. The, the uh, Praetorian um, guard, they found him there, and so they proclaimed him the emperor. And I'm not sure how that played out because the pre, the, these guards, their, their role is to prevent, to, to protect the emperor. And so they'd obviously just failed at, at protecting the last emperor. Um, and now they've, got, now they've got a chance to protect this new emperor that they've just, just uh, um, proclaimed as emperor. And I guess you could say that they eventually failed at that too because Emperor Claudius' reign ended um, a little bit after our story today, but it ended when his fourth wife, Agrippina, uh, poisoned him. And this was, this was after she somehow forced him to adopt her son and her son Nero and make him heir, right? So, so Claudius, he'd, he'd married this woman. Um, she forces him to adopt her son and, and proclaim him heir. Then she kills him, and then her son becomes emperor. And it's like, <laughs> like this is how politics worked back then, right? <laughs> But anyway, at the time of our story in Acts, uh, Claudius, he's still the emperor. He hasn't been killed yet. <clears throat> so from, uh, from Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, we learn that during the reign of Claudius, the Holy Spirit tells the disciples through the prophet Agabus that there's going to be this great famine, and the Christians in the area of Antioch give relief to Barnabas and Saul, which they take to the elders in Judea, 
to distribute to the Christians in need in that area. And then that re relief might have been food, it might have been money, it doesn't um, tell us. Which gets us to chapter 12, verse 1. King Herod is persecuting those who belong to the church. <clears throat> King Herod? Well, there was four Herods during the New Testament times. This Herod is, is Herod Agrippa I. And he served under... He served under the Roman Emperor, right? So he would have, he, he would have um, served under Emperor Claudius. And at this point in time, his title is king, and his, his territory includes most of the land um, west of the Dead Sea <clears throat> and up to the area around the Sea of Galilee, and then from, from the Sea of Galilee over to the coast of the Mediterranean. And he's ruling over the Jews, and he kind of is a Jew. The, Jew kind, the Jews kind of consider him one of their own, but he's not a good guy, and so there's, it's just a complex relationship. <clears throat> now, you need to know that the, the stuff that we read here about Herod, um, it actually takes place before the stuff that we just read about taking place in, in Antioch. Because Saul was in Tarsus, right? Remember, Saul went from Tarsus to Antioch. He was in Tarsus until AD 45. That's when Barnabas went up there and brought him down to Antioch. But by that time, Herod had already died because Herod died in, in uh, the year 44. So he died before, before that even happened at age 54. And we'll get to the story of Herod's death in a second at the end of this chapter. <clears throat> and he'd been ruling in various capacities for, for seven years when he died. And, and when I read that, just sort of how, how uh, Luke wanted to, um, Luke, the, the author of Acts, wanted to, to kind of put these pieces, not in chronological order, but in order that would, would make sense for the story. But I think it also proclaims that, hey, you know what? With this story, it's like, God knows how they're, it's like for, for us reading this and, and seeing kind of the timeline and how it played out, this is how God's seen it from before time even began, right? He knows what the, what the timeline is and who's going to happen and, and what's going to happen in each of these people's lives. And so the fact that, the, the chron, the, that uh, Luke changed the chronological order to, to um, put his story, to, to help us to understand the story a little bit better, for me it reminds me that... Um, yeah, that, that God's sovereign over time even. <clears throat> and it's not a, it, this isn't one of those, there's some cases where, where you read something in the Bible and it's like, well, this is, does, does it seem that, uh, did the author make a mistake? But this, uh, nobody would claim that Luke made a mistake here. This isn't something that's hard to figure out. It's just Luke wanted us to, he, he wanted to tell us this part of the story before he told us this part of the story. <clears throat> um, okay, so Acts chapter 12, verse 2. James dies. James, well, who's James. Well, it says right there that James is the brother of John. Well, which John is that? Well, this is, this is James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And these are two of Jesus' 12 disciples. All right? John's actually the one that wrote the gospel according to John. James here, this is not the James that wrote the book of James. We'll actually meet him later in this chapter. This is that confusing part where there's two James in here, and we need to know which one's which. So this, the James we're talking about here is not the James that wrote the book of James. <clears throat> And so James and John, these two brothers, these are the brothers that asked Jesus in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Um, they asked, they, they said, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your, at your side in, in your glory? And Jesus is like, no. Um, and then in Mark chapter 10, verse 39, um, Jesus tells James and John that they will suffer, right? Because they say, hey, you know what, we're, we're willing to accept some, some of this suffering. And Jesus says, yeah, you guys will suffer. And, and you it seems that with James' death here by the sword, 
that um, Jesus' prophecy is, is fulfilled in part here, right? Which, which, even though, yeah, James died by the sword, I hope that, for me anyway, that's encouraging to know that, that Jesus, Jesus knows about even our most excruciating trials, right? Even the way that we're going to die, even, even horrible things that might happen to us. He knows about those before they even happen. And, and we can take comfort in that. So King, James, or sorry, King Herod has James killed by the sword. And when, he sees, when King Herod sees that the Jews are pleased about, pleased about this, he, he arrests Peter. <clears throat> Peter? Well, who's Peter? This is Simon Peter, the rock, another one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he was a leader in the early church, and we see him as a leader in, in these earlier chapters of Acts. A fisherman. His dad had probably died when he was young. And he and his younger brother, Andrew, another one of, of Jesus' 12 disciples, might have been raised by, by James and John's mom and dad. <clears throat> There's a little bit of conjecture there, but you can kind of put some of the stories together and say, hey, maybe this is, this is what was going on. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 suggests that he was viewed as a common man, right? And it, it makes a big deal about that, that, hey, here's this guy that everybody thinks is a common man, and yet God's working through him powerfully. <clears throat> so Peter, he's arrested He's put in jail. In verse 4, we see that four squads of soldiers are assigned to guard him. Well, that's 16 soldiers, which, seem, which, seem, which seems like a lot. <clears throat> and I'm not sure whether the, um, the two soldiers that he was chained to in verse 6, or, or the sentries, sent, sentries? sentries at the door are included with this 16, right? But uh, whatever, however it is, there was a lot of guards that were, were making sure that, that he didn't escape. Um, he was well guarded. And by the end of this story, by the end of chapter 12, all these guards are dead. <clears throat> and in the midst of Paul's, or sorry, in the midst of Peter's imprisonment, we see that earnest prayer was made to God by the church. To who? To God. And who's that? Well, the word for God here isn't God's name. Just like in English, it's the same word that would also be used and is used elsewhere. Um, to refer also to a false god, right? We can say a false god and be referring not to God, and we can say God and be referring to God, because God isn't God's name. Yahweh is God's name. So here it's, it's um, God. And by this point in church history, uh, the concept of the Trinity hadn't been fully developed. It wasn't fully understood. I mean, we would say today it's not fully understood either, but we have a, a more defined idea of, of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but by this point, it hadn't been fully developed. And so God here um, was starting as referring to the God of the Israelites, right? The God of the Old Testament. Or we might say that, that God in this instance is referencing God the Father. And one of the three, God, or God is one of the, the Father is one of the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But still, God also refers to Jesus, and, and God also refers to the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> right? Because the Father is God. Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but at the same time, the Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. It's, it, God is, is one being and three persons. And this is confusing for us because for us, we're, I'm one being and I'm one person, right? And that's the way that it is for each of us. But for God, he's one being but three persons. <clears throat> And so you ask, why does this even matter? Why do we need to understand this about um, God? 
Because we can see relationship within God, right? And here in Acts, we see relationship in the church. Now, of course, the relationship in the church, that all may be one, or, or even um, you think about marriage, right? The two become one. Um, but these, these relationships, they'll never be one to the extent that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one. But still, we see, we see our, our relationships um, modeled in, in God, or, or the other way around is probably more accurate. We better understand God through our imperfect relationships, right? And so understanding, just pondering and thinking about this idea of the Trinity and how, we have, how, how God is on his own, he's in relationship, right? And the unity that's there, and, and when we think about the unity that's in our relationships, it helps us to understand God, and, and also understanding God helps us to seek that kind of unity in some of our relationships. <clears throat> so back to Acts chapter 12, verse 7. Peter is in jail, well-guarded and chained, and then an angel appears. And by this time, Peter's more accustomed to seeing angels, so he just goes with it. It's like, it's, later on it says something along the lines of, um, I wasn't sure whether that was a real angel or a, vision, or a vision, so I just went with it. Later on he finds out that, yeah, actually this was real. And the angel gives Peter some instructions. Gates open, chains fall off, there's urgency, right? And, and, and the question, one of the questions that came up for me is, why do angels have to do things this way, right? How does this, how does this even work? Is, is this angel given instructions from God in heaven, or is the Holy Spirit guiding the angel? And if Peter doesn't obey, right, the angel, you can, when you read it in there, you can see there's some urgency. The angel's like, hey, quickly, get up. We've got to go. And if Peter doesn't obey, well, will the plans, these plans fail? I don't know, right? Like how do, and, and why didn't God just sort of teleport Peter out? And certainly there's a, there, even within the story, there's a, um, it, 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 the story teaches us things, but, but it's just kind of a funny thing. Like, why, why, why does God need to work this way? And, and we don't know all the answers, but this is what he did. He sent an angel um, to set Peter free from jail. <clears throat> and and why, why even is an angel the messenger in this case? So regardless, this angel isn't given a name. Some angels are given names. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, we, we see, or elsewhere in the Bible, it does suggest that, that angels are individuals and and that they are arranged into um, hierarchies, and that they are, or they can be in God's presence. Excuse me, later in this chapter, um, in verse 15, some of the Christians mistakenly refer to Peter's angel, and we might ask, well, what does that even mean? Um, Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus is talking about children, and he says, um, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that they are angels in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. And so is Jesus here saying that, hey, we've all got guardian angels? I don't know. Um, at the end of our section for today, an angel strikes King Herod down. And is this a different angel than the one we see earlier? <clears throat> so there's lots of questions. But, but the message that we see throughout the Bible regarding angels is, is this, that there is, there is a spiritual realm. It's different than this physical realm that we live in. There's different kinds of creatures, right? Because angels are created as well. Um, <clears throat> and it seems that things work differently between these two 
realms. And, and God is sovereign over both realms. He's sovereign over the physical realm, and he's sovereign over the spiritual realm. So at the end of this angel story, Acts chapter 12, verse 11, Peter does realize that, hey, this angel actually is real. It wasn't just a vision. Um, and Peter actually did escape from jail, and he's free again. But note this, in, 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 verse, chap- sorry, in, verse, uh, in verse 12, Peter says, The Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. All right, so who rescued Peter? The angel? No, the Lord. That's right. Good job. Um, The Lord rescued him, right? Angels just like us, they're they're creatures through whom God accomplishes his good purposes. And and this is also one of those examples where the, the ambiguity regarding who is meant by the Lord is helpful, right? Peter is addressing Jesus as Lord. And so who was it that dispatched this angel? Was it Jesus? Was it God? Yeah. All right, so let's carry on. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Peter's free. So he heads to Mary's house. Mary? Who's Mary? Well, it tells us the mother of John. Oh, who's John? (laughs) Well, it tells us it's the guy who's also called Mark. So who's John Mark? Well, this is probably the guy that wrote the, the gospel according to Mark. He's a Jew. He's Barnabas' cousin. He becomes a missionary traveling companion of, of Paul or Saul and, and Barnabas. And in one, at one point in their missionary journeys, um, Mark leaves to head back to Jerusalem. And this later becomes a little bit of a point of contention between Saul and Barnabas, which you might expect that maybe you'd expect or you wouldn't be surprised at a little bit of contention um, with Saul, but Barnabas is such a nice guy, right? He'd never, he'd never argue. And so, dropping out there, am I okay? I'm good? All right. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so, so later in Acts, Paul and Barnabas, or Saul, aka Paul, Paul and Barnabas have an argument, and the argument is about the fact that John Mark had, in Saul's words, I, I think he says, um, John Mark had abandoned us, and so therefore he can't come with us. Barnabas is like, come on, the guy's like, let's give him another chance. And so they have this big argument about this. And, and you can understand that Saul, that's more his personality, like just deal with it head on. Barnabas is more the nice guy. And so you're, you, you just wonder what this, how, what this discussion looked like. But you can see, you can understand from Barnabas' um, personality that he's going to be the guy that's, that's sticking up for John Mark in this, in this situation. <clears throat> Anyway, so, so John Mark's mom, Mary, she hosts a house church in Jerusalem, and this is where Peter goes after he escapes from prison. And when he arrives at Mary's house, Peter knocks at the outer entrance, and Rhoda goes to answer. She tells the believers that it's Peter, but they don't believe her. And in the culture of the time, Rhoda had everything against her as far as having a voice. Um, she's a servant, she's female, she's young. And not only that, but in verse 14, she's so excited to hear Peter that she forgets to open the gate, right? And, and she runs back in, and, 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 and maybe this is what she's like, right? She's not the calm, measured one, but the over-the-top, excited one. And so then they come and say, she, she runs in and she says something about Peter, and they're like, oh, here goes Rhoda again, right? It's like, so, so she's one that doesn't, doesn't her, her, she's not... She probably doesn't have a lot of respect. She's probably not somebody that, that they're going to listen to right away. But you'd think that by this time, 
the believers would have learned that it's like, hey, you know what? God's going to speak through the least of us, the ones that society might, might, might not give a voice. I remember Luke 24. This is when the women report on the empty tomb, right? And they're ignored because, well, can you trust women's voice? Would be kind of the question of the day. So they report on the empty tomb. Jesus is alive. Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But the apostles did not believe the women because the word seemed to them like nonsense, right? It's just this attitude. And it seems that that attitude with Rhoda is still there. It's like, come on, God's going to work through the least of us. <clears throat> so history repeats itself. Eventually, they do let Peter in, and they're all super excited and amazed. Peter motions them to be silent. And you can see Peter, I think he's the opposite of this. He's like the, he's the, he's the calm measure, maybe the boring one. He's like, right? Rhoda's like, Peter's here. Peter comes in. And everybody is silent, and then, and then he tells them about what, what had happened. And then he tells them, hey, go and tell James and the others all about this. Like, tell James? This must be the J same James that we heard about earlier, right? But it can't be that James because he's dead. <clears throat> Different James? That's right. This is the James that's the brother of Jesus. And he wrote the book of James, and he's becoming a leader in the in the early church, and this is why Peter wants this to be reported to him. And there's actually lots of historical literature or historical records outside of the Bible that, that make reference to James. Um, and so from that perspective, he's like a, a figure that helps us to tie the early church historically to the period. And, and some of those records suggest that he was executed around the year 62. But he's still alive at this time, and Peter instructs the Christians to let him know what has happened. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Acts chapter 12, verse 18, Peter escaped, Peter's escape from jail is causing no small commotion amongst the soldiers, and King Herod has a search conducted. Peter isn't found, so he orders the sentries, the guards, to be executed. Then King Herod travels from Judea, the province where Jerusalem is, um, up to Caesarea, which is the Roman capital of the region, and it's also a, a military port city. And... <clears throat> From Caesarea, about 100 kilometers along the coast of the Mediterranean, further, further north up, um, there's two cities, Tyre and, and Sidon, Sidon, um, Sidon. And, and these two cities, they're, they're outside of Herod's reign. Remember, Herod's reign was kind of, sort of from the, uh, for the most part, from the um, um, Jordan River over to the Mediterranean. And these two cities are, are about 100 kilometers and 150 kilometers further north of Herod's reign the north of uh, Caesarea. <clears throat> um, and so somehow, somehow the people of, uh, or so, so the people of, of um, Tyre and, and Sidon, they've got, uh, even though they're not part of King Herod's country, they rely on King Herod's country for food. And so they're having some trouble. I don't know what the disagreement is. Uh, the, depending on how you translate it into our Bibles, it suggests that Herod was mad at them or some or, or it might be that they were just having an argument. But either way, there's some problems with them getting food and this arrangement that they have, and so they want to talk to King Herod to get this sorted out. And it turns out that they have a connection with King Herod, and his name is Blastus. And Blastus, um, it, the, the, he's King Herod's personal bedroom assistant. The, the text literally says um, Blastus um, was over... Um, King Herod's bedroom, right? Like this was his role, but it wouldn't have just been, it, it would have been sort of a personal assistant, but it also would have been a, there would have been some, 
some power and authority associated with this role. So Blastus, and, and, and this whole part about um, Tyre and Sidon and Blastus, it's like it's one of those weird things where it's like, God, why did, you, why did you even put this in here? Like, how does this fit in with the rest of the story? And I don't know, but I believe that God put it in there for some reason. Anyway, Blastus sets up a meeting between um, King Herod and between the people of Tyre and Sidon so that they can figure out, sort out this food issue. And according to historical records outside of the Bible, um, King Herod held a big celebration. I, th I think this took place every year, and it included, you know, the, the, the big king in his royal robes and everything, but it also included some sporting events and, and this kind of stuff. Anyway, he held this big celebration. It was, on, it was in honor of the Roman emperor, and the details that the historical records give us versus the details that we have in the Bible, we can see that, yeah, it looks like these are the same events. So, the, so he holds this big celebration in honor of the, the Roman emperor, he don King Herod dons his royal robes. He sits on the throne, and, and he, in this case, he delivers this big speech. And, and the royal robes that are mentioned in Acts here, they're like woven with silver. And when the sun hits them, like, it just, it's magnificent. It, it looks awesome, right? Like, we don't want to use that word to, de to describe things that uh, um, aren't God, but this is how the people would have described it, that, that here's this king, and he just looks magnificent. And, and so the people are like, just saying that King Herod is great, that he's like a god. <clears throat> <clears throat> and the problem, of course, is that Herod doesn't give glory to the one true God. And so what happens? An angel of the Lord strikes Herod down. And, and it's significant and it's interesting here that Herod's done all kinds of bad things. I mean, he, he killed James. And, and it's... It's when we get to this point that it's like, this is the thing where God sends an angel to strike him down. And, and I believe that the reason is because this reflected what was going on in Herod's heart, right? That he, he maybe, you, you, can do some, you, can, you can do some awful, awful stuff. Um, but there comes a time when your heart is just so rebellious against God, so rotten that it's like, God chose that was the time when he had to send an angel to strike Herod down. And so he does. <clears throat> and this chapter concludes with, a, with an update on, on the expansion of God's word. Um, it, God's word increased, it multiplied. And then Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark, they head up to Antioch, where they're eventually set, sent off to, to tell more people about Jesus. And those are the people of Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 1225. That's a, that's a lot, hey? And it's kind of cool. It's like, this is one of those chapters where if you did, and there's been times when I've done this with different sections of the Bible, if you just went through and just, just, just tried to understand the story of each person or of each place, it's like, there's, this is a treasure trove that, that God, it's like, we, 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 we're so blessed when we understand a little bit of these stories and kind of bring it into this, this story here and understand a little bit of what's going on. It's not just, it's not, we can't, we can't just jump into this story without having any background. We can, but we're going to be, we're going to be so much more richly blessed and, and learn so much more about God and, and what he's doing when we can understand a little bit of the stories of the people that are told about in, in these, this chapter. <clears throat> so let me add a couple more thoughts before we finish up. Um, first, <clears throat> Like I mentioned, reading through this section, there were 
there were a few parts that I didn't understand, right? Like, like why was it that, that James was killed by Herod, but, but Peter was rescued by God, right? Why didn't, why didn't God re- rescue James? Um, and uh, we know that the believers were praying for Peter, but the text doesn't imply at all that it's like, oh, the, the people were praying for Peter, and that's why he was rescued, and they weren't, rescued, they, they weren't praying for James. That's not what it's implying. It's just implying that, hey, by God's sovereignty, he decided that it was James' time to die, and he still had things for, he, he still wanted to work through um, Peter. But, we, but it, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no, we can't say, oh, yeah, this is why God did this. We can only say, you know what, God? This doesn't make a lot of sense, but by faith, I'm going to keep worshiping, trusting, and obeying you, right? And that's the same thing in our lives. So there's going to be times when it's like, Lord, this, why did you do this to this guy and this to this guy? Or why did you do this to me and, and bless this person this way? I don't, I don't understand that. And, and we, want, we, want to, we want to ask God that he would grant us the faith that we would be able to continue to serve and worship him even without being able to understand. There's times when he allows us to understand but our faith shouldn't be based on, on understanding. And then second, a, a second thing that kind of popped out to me in this is that, that we, we, see some, we see some messed up politics in this section, right? And, and the cool thing is that the believers at the time, they didn't seem to let it get them down. And in fact, we see this throughout the whole first century um, New Testament period in the, in the Bible, that there was like, there was persecution that, that we're not accustomed to, that we don't experience, and yet... The, uh, the believers didn't seem to, they didn't seem to be overwhelmed by the politics of the day. And here in Alberta, of course, we're heading into an election. And of course, in our, our federal politics are also always kind of a little bit messy. And, and we want to remember that there is no perfect candidate or party. Our allegiance is to God's kingdom. <clears throat> Just like the believers in the first century, right? We don't get overwhelmed by these things. We don't need to control these things. We want to be wise. We want to get involved in the things that happen in this world. But our hope, of course, is not in the perfect candidate getting elected. Our hope is in Jesus. All right, so let's finish up. Um, we've met a lot of characters in this section of Acts. And there's a, there's a guy. I don't think he's a Christian. His name is, is John um, Koenig. And he invents words to uh, capture emotions that, that aren't already named. And he's, compi- he's compiled them in the, um, the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And I, I'm, I don't, I'm, re- I'm not recommending it because I don't know if they're all uh, great definitions or not. But he has one definition in there. It's one of my favorites. It's this word that he invented called sonder. And he says sonder is that thing where maybe you're driving along and you look out in an apartment building and um, you look out an apartment building and you can see, maybe you see somebody through the window, right? And you suddenly realize, you see people in a whole bunch of the windows and suddenly you realize those people all have lives going on, right? That are just as complex as mine. And there's stuff that I have no idea. And this is probably gonna be the only interaction I ever have with that person, just seeing them in that window, right? And it's just that, Sonder, he says, it's just that feeling where all of a sudden you realize that hey, there's more than just my big life. And I think there's a little bit, I, I hope that we can get a little bit of that when we read through Acts, that here's um, Rhoda, right? And this is the only place where she's mentioned in the Bible. And we know that she had a full life. We don't know anything else that happened to her, but we know that God used her in different ways 
but we, we just get this one little glimpse of her, and then we carry on. He describes um, Soder this way. <clears throat> the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once, as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blur of traffic passing on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. Oh, and when I read through, when I read through this part of Acts, I experience Sonder. Sonder, maybe you do too. As followers of Jesus, we know that each of us is a thread, and he's woven a beautiful tapestry. It's messy at times, but it's beautiful, and it's intentional. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, oh, that you would remind us, remind each of us that, um, that you do have plans for our lives. Lord, that you are sovereign. Um, you remind us that you are good, and when we don't, we can't make, when we can't make sense of this tapestry that you've created, Lord, that we would just trust in you and know that you are good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.